So our topic tonight is what does it mean to be a godly woman? What does it mean to be a godly woman? And there are a lot of passages that have been used to answer this question. And tonight we're going to take a look at two of them, an Old Testament lesson and a New Testament lesson. So we're going to read both of the passages first. I invite you to keep your fingers in both because we'll be coming back to each of them. The first one is Proverbs 31. Proverbs 30, oh, I know, it's getting real up in here, people. <laughs> Proverbs 31, page 535 in your pew Bibles, page 535, beginning to read at verse 10. Now, if you grew up in the church, you may remember this uh, passage being used on Mother's Day sermons, right? <laughs> Anybody, does that ring true for anyone? Or is that just my era? Okay. All right. A few of you. All right. And um, yes, so we'll talk about how good that was. Verse 10, a capable wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid for her household when it snows, for all her household are clothed in crimson. She makes herself coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the city gates, taking his seat among the elders of the land, She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchant with sashes. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her happy. Her husband, too, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a share in the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the city gates. This is the word of the Lord. And now, the New Testament lesson from Luke 10, page 845. Luke 10, page 845. Beginning to read at verse 38. Now as Jesus and the disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, 
Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There's need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. So in the Old Testament lesson, in Proverbs 31, we have a woman who does it all. She does all the things. She leans in so far you can't even pull her back. She's doing all the stuff. She does not sleep. Did you notice this? Her lamp does not go out at night. She rises up early. Like this woman is unbelievable. She is unstoppable. Can't stop, won't stop. (laughs) She is all that and a bag of chips. She has got it going on. You understand? You have the picture of this woman. She also works out. Did you notice this? (laughs) She girds herself with strength, right? So she's getting up early and she's doing some CrossFit or something. I don't know what she's doing. But she's unbelievable. So this image first that we're given of a godly woman is like, she gets it done. She gets all the stuff done and then more stuff. And then she gets more stuff done. And then she gets some stuff done. And so you think, okay, all right, this this is what it looks like. A godly woman gets stuff done. Got it. Good. And then we get to Luke 10. All right? So Martha is trying to get some stuff done. So this is what happens when Jesus goes around, right? It's not like Jesus just comes in all by himself. Jesus comes in with people. He comes in like with a youth group. Okay? So... Somebody comes in and says, hey, Jesus is coming down the line. And Martha's thinking, oh, man, I, the pressure's on now. i got to host people. It would be like, like if you called your parents and said, hey, in like 20 minutes, some of us are going to come over. And your mom was like, um, what does some of us mean? And you're like, um, eight, 10, 17, 17 of us? Is that okay? Is that good? And your mom has like 20 minutes to check the freezer and what we have and does your dad need to me to run to the grocery store because it's not just you, it's 17 of you. And you're all coming hungry because why other reason would you go home, really? <laughs> Love, attention, sure. Food, yes. All right? So for Martha, this is a big deal. Jesus is coming with his posse and they are going to be hungry And it's her job as the eldest woman of the house to provide. And her status in the community depended on how well she did as a host. Hospitality was that important. You had to have enough food and drink. This is why it's a scandal at the wedding of Cana when they run out of wine. Scandalous. Didn't do that. So Martha is under incredible pressure. Now, we don't know a lot about Mary and Martha's backstory. We know it was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother who lived together. We don't know if their parents died and they were relatively young trying to figure out life on their own. We don't know if Martha had been married and her husband died and left her childless and she had to move back in with her family. But there were two big ways in which a woman was evaluated in that society, having a husband and having children. And from what we know about Martha, she didn't have either one of those. 
And so by all the measurements of her society, she already is not enough. She's not cutting it. And so the one thing she has left is to be a fantastic host. And so she has a lot of anxiety going into this. This, The stakes are very high for her, for her reputation in the village and beyond. She wants to be known as somebody who at least can do this. And so she is going around and she is getting it all done. And Jesus says to her, hey, hey, there's only one thing that's needed and Mary's got it. And now all the women who read that go, oh, for Pete's sake. First she got Proverbs 31 that says I got to get all the stuff done. And when I'm busy getting all the stuff done, Jesus says, no, you got to be more contemplative and just chill and sit on my feet. <laughs> like we can't win. We cannot win this game. There are constantly things being thrown at us and we think, well, if we do too much of that, that's not good. And too much of that, that's not good. And these passages at first read, set in conflict with each other, set right against each other, make us feel like all the other messages we feel from society that tell us that you are not enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not tall enough. You're not smart enough. You're actually too smart. (laughs) You're not musical enough. You're too musical. You're too athletic You're just not quite right. You don't quite fit. And because of that, let us sell you many, many, many products that can be used to help you become enough. Let's just talk about Spanx for a minute, shall we? (laughs) Here's a product that says there's too much of you. We can't stand to look at all of it. Please just stuff it in a sack so that you look a little smaller. Would you do that for us? Because we'd all really appreciate it. That's a product that exists in the world. Let's talk about teeth whitening. Oh, my, your smile is just appalling. How can you even walk around like that? Oh, oh, my stars. You mean, you mean you're going to somebody's wedding and you have not yet whitened your teeth? Where are your priorities? I mean, what are these things that are being sold to us that say who you are is not enough? Curl your hair, straighten your hair, lighten your skin, darken your skin. All these ways in which you are not enough. You're not quite right. Oh, are you not in a relationship either? Oh, well, oh my. Mm -mm. And if we're honest, it's not just kind of North American culture that does this to us. The church has a culture around who women are supposed to be. You're supposed to be, like, quiet and polite and modest and don't talk very loud and don't laugh too much. Meekness, really, is to be your, you know, leading edge. Just be meek. That'd be awesome. That'd be great for all of us. Just, you know, don't, don't be too much. And, and when you're thinking about your life, there are some things that we'd like to advise you on. There's a ranking of godliness, and we want to be sure that you have this clear. Mother Teresa, any other nun, <laughs> stay-at-home moms 
who homeschool their children, <laughs> stay-at-home moms, people who try to stay at home but don't really make it, career people, career women, uh, others, um, single women. Am I wrong? That's the ranking that we are given. Those are the values that are promoted to us, even if they are subconscious or unconscious rather than blatant. Those are the things that are kind of held up. If you're actually serious about your faith, you're going to look like one of these things. You're going to fall into these categories, and we're really sorry if you don't. And then can we talk just a minute about sexuality? Because if you're a virgin, then you are godly. Congratulations. That is the bar you need to clear. Just hang on to that till you're married, whenever that may be. Just hold on to your virginity because that is the ultimate mark of a godly woman. And if you give that up, there's really nothing we can do for you. It's just done. You don't even have the option of being godly anymore. You've just given up your big thing. It's out for you. Sorry. And we get these messages and we don't know who we are or what we're supposed to do or what life is supposed to look like for us. And what if... What if I don't feel called to marriage? What if I don't feel called to motherhood? What if I'm really excited about my career? And then what if I actually am really excited about motherhood? Can I say that out loud? And then there's this really odd contest or competition that happens between women about, you know, like, well, she's this way and I'm this way and I'm not as good as her. And, and most of it happens right here, right? Sometimes it comes out sideways and we do a little gossip or we do a little snide thing. Well, you know, she got a C minus on her Spanish. So she may be pretty and have a boyfriend, but I'm getting an A. <laughs> right? It's like we've got this scorecard and it's like, you know, it's like, well, boyfriend, looks, intelligence, musicianship, athletics, friends, employment ability, like, how do we all measure up against each other? How do we stack up? And all the time, it's like, okay, who's got an advantage? Who's got an advantage? Who would have to look out for here? And so we have all of this churning within us all the time, and then we read scripture like this, and we go, oh, for Pete's sake, I can never be enough. Even God is telling me that I am not getting it right. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like God? No. Does that sound like God? Okay, you're getting there. Does that sound like God? No. No. No, no it does not sound like God. So what is actually happening in these two passages? And what is actually happening is super cool and exciting. Let me tell you. <laughs> Proverbs 31. I have to tell you, true confessions, I've hated this passage for 46 years. 
And I hated it because I thought, I am never going to measure up. This, is, this does not describe my life at all, except for wearing purple, which I do on occasion. <laughs> but I think every woman who's read this or has heard this preached to them by usually a man on something like Mother's Day feels like, thank you for telling me all the ways I am inadequate. But here's what's super cool about this passage. So this passage comes at the end of the book of Proverbs, right? You can see that. It's the very end of the book of Proverbs. The entire book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. How do you get wise? How do you achieve wisdom? So there are some scholars, they seem to be in a minority, who say that the Proverbs 31 woman who is personified here is actually wisdom. It's wisdom personified. If you live your life in a wise way, if you choose wisdom, look at all the ways in which wisdom will benefit your life. Because throughout the book, the alternative is folly. And folly is presented in the book as a prostitute who walks the streets crying out, tempting people. And so there are some scholars who say, see, this is the counter to that. But most scholars say, no, that's probably not it. It probably is actually a poem that says, these are the values that are lifted up in Hebrew society. These are the kinds of things that we want our women to be able to do. Which is super interesting, because there are things that this woman does that women in that society did not normally do. Verse 16 She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Now, normally, a woman was not allowed to buy and sell land. Her husband did that for her. So this is a very radical move. Her husband's chilling out in the city gates. He's, like, judging people. He's ruling over things. And she's just, like, wheeling and dealing over here. She's got it going on. She is buying and selling land. Significant financial transactions are under her authority. Twenty-five. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. There are translations that say she laughs at the future, or she laughs at what the days will bring. There is this idea that this woman is so centered, so ready, that no matter what comes in the future, she's good. She's grounded. She's ready. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Now, this is radical because it was the woman's job in most societies to take what had been brought in from the fields and turn that into different things. You can see that through the text. She takes flax and she turns it into clothing. She takes other things, she turns it into food. And that was a, that was a lot of anxiety. If there was not enough to go around, it was her job to make sure there was enough. It was her job to get the family through seasons of famine, seasons of want, And so it's radical to say that this woman isn't worried. This woman doesn't worry. 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now, this whole book has been about wisdom. Where do you go for wisdom? How do you find wisdom? And here it's like, you know you find wisdom? You find it in a woman. And she's going to teach you things. She's going to teach you about kindness. She's going to teach you about wisdom. Again, radical. To have a woman 
in a position to say, I will tell you what is wise. I will show you what is kind. And then 30. All of these things build to verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is why she can do all these other things, because she is fearing the Lord, and it means that she has a reverence, she has a devotion, she is rooted in, she is grounded in. The Lord is her rock. And this is also radical, because there are lots of other poems about women in the ancient world, and most of them had to do with beauty. If you read the Song of Songs, for example, a lot about beauty in the Song of Songs, right? Um, Esther, Queen Esther, became queen because she was intelligent and won a calculus contest. No, no. She won because she was beautiful, right? Um, the, the legend of Helen of Troy, people fought over Helen because she was beautiful. She was the face that launched a thousand ships. So all these other poems about women that existed in this time period were about their beauty and let's all fight over them because, you know, they're kind of frail and we need to protect them and they're just beautiful and they're just beautiful and it's great and they're beautiful. And the Hebrew canon says, shallow people, no. This is what matters. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so Jesus is sitting and he's teaching. And Martha, his dear friend, is fluttering about and she's anxious and she's busy. And he calls her back and he says, Martha, one thing is needed. What's the one thing? Fear the Lord. The Lord is right there in her house. And he's saying to her, you are no longer evaluated by how you do. You are no longer evaluated by your performance. You no longer worry about the social norms of your day that are evaluating you on your ability to provide or be a host. You and me, Martha, that's what this is about. You and me, come and sit at my feet and learn because there, too, a radical move from Jesus. He lets women sit at his feet and be disciples like regular human beings. And this is why that's so important. Because in a world that is constantly saying to Martha that she is not enough, she needs to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear from her again and again, Martha, you are enough. Martha, you are enough. Martha, you are enough. Sam, you are enough. Catherine, you are enough. Caitlin, you are enough. You are enough. Lexi, you are enough. You are enough. Danny, you are enough. You are enough. You are enough. You are treasured and beautiful and bright and beloved. And you are enough. And when the voice of the enemy sneaks in through and says that you are not enough, 
or that the sins of your past have marked you and you cannot undo them, or that you will never be as good as or as smart as or as thin as or as pretty as, when the lies of the enemy start to overwhelm, you come back to the feet of Jesus. This is why we spend time with Jesus, not out of some, like, I got to check it off my calendar, I got to have some spiritual discipline to show him. No, because this is where we get truth. This is where we remember that we are enough and we are beloved because if we don't fill ourselves up with the love of our Jesus, we are going to be swamped by the lies of the world. And Jesus loves women. They were the last ones at the cross. And they were the ones who got up early in the morning with spices and they went to the tomb even though they knew there would be Roman soldiers there. And if you wanted to write a gospel and you wanted to convince everybody that the resurrection happened, you would have put men out there witnessing it. You would have had all the men and that centurion and Pilate and Herod. They would have had like a little camp out around the tomb so when Jesus arose, they'd all be like, oh my goodness, wow, tell people. One way we know the resurrection is true is because Jesus puts it in the mouths of women. Women weren't allowed to testify in court. They were seen as dismissive. They were seen as unreliable. They were seen as prone to gossip and rumor. And Jesus says, you are enough. You are enough. You are enough. Go and tell. Go and tell. Go and preach the good news of the resurrection. Get out there. Go. Go and tell. You are enough. No one else has to tell this. You don't have to have your story validated by other people. You just go and tell because I believe in you. You are precious and valued in my sight, and I trust you with the best story that the world will ever hear. You are enough. And so, my brothers, when you are with sisters who tear themselves down or speak ill of themselves, be gentle and bring them back to the foot of the cross. And when you find yourselves in company with brothers or not brothers who are speaking ill of women, who are making light of them, who are putting them down, step up. Say something. These are your sisters in Christ and they need you. Don't you dare let anybody speak ill of your sisters. And if they do it on a regular basis, you call them on it. And if they keep doing on it, you go with more brothers and you call them on it again. And if they keep doing on it, you let them go. Because those are not the people who you want in your life. And my sisters, if there is a man in your life who is not treating you as if you are a beloved child of God, Get out. Get out. If he speaks ill to you, 
if he raises a hand to you, if he dismisses of you or your dreams for the future, this is not your person. Get out. Be with people in whose words you hear the echoes of our Jesus. Be with people who make you feel like you are enough. Be with people who call out from you all that God has from you. Be with people who make you feel contented to be who you are and delighted to see who God is going to turn you into. Be with those kinds of people. Be with Jesus' people. And if you can't find any, come hang out with me and we will eat chocolate in my office. <laughs> Being a woman is a challenge in the 21st century. Being a godly woman is both a challenge and a delight. Because if you're just a woman trying to make it through without the truth of the gospel, you're going to get swamped by the lies. But if you are a godly woman, if the fear of the Lord is in you and you are devoted to him and you come to the feet of Jesus, then you have the delight of having truth poured into you again and again and again that says you are enough, you are beautiful, you are a treasure, you are mine. Go and tell others. Go and tell others. Go and tell others. Because this good news can't stop with us.